All right, so today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Ananias, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately he got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two, man, two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. The word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be back. I missed you guys last week, but it was uh, good to listen to Gordon Chinamasa's sermon. Appreciated it. Uh, so my family and I, we, were, we traveled to Colorado. Uh, we weren't sure we were going to be able to do it, but we were able to do it last minute and spent some time with family, friends, and that was good. We came back Thursday, uh, got our COVID tests on Friday. Uh, thankfully, we got those back negative, so happy to be here today. Uh, but, so I, I grew up in this house in Colorado that we visited. Uh, it's in the Estes Park, maybe you've been there, and uh, it's kind of like, it's not far away, then you can, you can walk and go up a little mountain wilderness area, but also like very close to the town. And on occasion, we would see bears wander through our yard. Uh, not very often, every couple of years. And so, like growing up, I had uh, this reoccurring nightmare. Have any of you had like a reoccurring nightmare <laughs> where bears would like chase me around my yard and through my house? Uh, and obviously, this has never happened before. Uh, but then, one of the first things my dad told me when he picked me up from the airport is that uh, he was just going to the garage and he opened the door and there was a bear in the garage at his house just like looking around and I guess just the very action of opening the door scared the bear away like apparently bears are not prone to chasing people but kind of scared but it was like this incredibly like oh surprising moment this disruptive moment right this this thing that uh, my dad was not expecting uh, and it was both, um, it was surprising, uh, it was also kind of a, a cool event, right? Like getting to walk out into your garage and there's a bear. And then it, it, it turned out well, so there was uh, nothing to fear. But sometimes, like life gets disrupted, right? Life gets disrupted. And uh, sometimes it's a negative thing, right? When we started this year, none of us thought, oh, we're going to go through a worldwide pandemic this year uh, and have to kind of put our entire lives on hold or really uh, change things. Uh, you know, in Australia, they had all those wildfires. They weren't expecting that. That was a disruptive event. Um, uh, but sometimes uh, disruption can be uh, a good thing. 
uh, a good thing. Uh, when I was growing up, they had these, um, these big brown books uh, that always came in a set. And you could go up to these books and you could pull one out and you could look up any topic. You could look up like iguanas or airplanes or the planet Venus. Like you'd look up anything. Sometimes they came with a picture, some description there. Uh, and uh, it was kind of difficult because you had to like navigate to the right book. And if you had brothers who didn't put the books back in the right order, then it was like a guessing game of where to find the right letter, like for I for iguana. But once you found it, you navigated to the right page and you could read about it. Now, maybe some of you know what these big brown books are called. Uh, do any of our high schoolers know what these big brown books are called? No, shaking, bonus shaking his head, no. Julia, any idea what that is? It's an encyclopedia. <laughs> Encyclopedias. Um, did, I grew up with one of these. Who here grew up with a set of encyclopedias? Okay, so not our younger generation as much, but I, I grew up with one of these. Uh, apparently they cost around like $1,000 for a set. I'm sure you could get one now on Craigslist for like 10 bucks. Uh, uh, but these uh, encyclopedias lasted a really long time, but then something came along that disrupted them. Does anyone know what came along that disrupted the encyclopedia industry? The internet, Wikipedia, the free global crowdsourced encyclopedia where you can go and type in anything and find out information about it. But when I was going through college, like you were not supposed to cite Wikipedia. I don't know if that has changed for college or for, for students. Uh, I know they have like a, you can cite this page button, which is pretty helpful. Uh, but uh, like the, uh, uh, Wikipedia came along and completely disrupted the encyclopedia industry. Uh, encyclopedia Britannica published its final volumes in 2012 after 244 years of circulation. So Wikipedia crushed Encyclopedia Britannica. I don't think this is a bad thing, right? For those that worked at Encyclopedia Britannica, that was a bad thing. But uh, I don't think that uh, something new like Wikipedia coming along uh, was necessarily a bad thing. It was a disruption, and it kind of disrupted in a good way. It, it allowed for more information and for us to get a hold of current information. Of course, uh, anyone can edit Wikipedia, and so there's a downside there as well. So we go through life and, and things disrupt us, right? Sometimes they disrupt us for the worse and sometimes we're disrupted for the better. Uh, and there was a man named Aeneas. Uh, he was able to, to run and walk and uh, sit and stand and jump and play. Uh, he was born just like any of us. But one day his life was disrupted. Uh, we don't know what happened to him. Uh, whether he fell sick or more likely he just had an accident. But he became paralyzed and bedridden. He could not walk. His life was completely disrupted. Uh, maybe he wondered, like, will my legs ever regain feeling? Is that possible? But pretty quickly, you know, a day turned into a week, a week into a month, month into years. And eight years later, after this incident that changed his life forever, that disrupted his life forever, he's still bedridden. He's still not able to stretch his legs. He's still not able to wiggle his toes or uh, uh, kick his feet. And over time, see, the disruption has become the norm. The disruption has become what is normal. I'm lying in my bed. This is my life now. This is my new normal. And that almost reflects uh, a bigger story, kind of a, a meta story. 
Uh, the story that we actually live in, the story of creation. See, when God created uh, this world and everything in it, it was good. God called it good. But then Adam and Eve, the first humans, they, like, they sinned and they, they, they brought disruption into creation. And everything suddenly became fractured and, and broken. Relationships, our relationships with each other, our relationships with creation, our relationship with our God, all of these things were disrupted and weren't working as God originally intended them to work. And then, well, days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, months turned to years, centuries turned into millenniums. Thousands of years pass, and this new disruption becomes normal. <laughs> now we live in a state of disruption. We just think, oh, that's what's normal, death and, and, and sickness and sadness and sorrow. This is what is normal to what it means to be a human. That's just how life is, right? But that's not what God tells us. In fact, God tells us that this state of disruption is not normal. <laughs> it's not the way he intended life to be lived. And so what if God had a plan to disrupt the disruption. <laughs> what if God had a plan to disrupt the disruption, kind of return things to how they were intended to be, if not even better than how they were intended to be? Life disrupted to life restored. And that's what I think God is doing. God's doing in our world through his Holy Spirit, but God's doing through us, actually. What if God told us that he was going to form like little communities of disruption and send these little communities out into a world uh, to, to restore uh, what was lost, uh, to, to restore humanity as he intended it to be? I think that's what we're supposed to be as the church, these little gatherings of people that together disrupt the disruption. Restoring creation and our world to what God intended it to be. Functioning in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense to the world because the, the world has just come to accept how things are. And yet we operate in a different way. We operate how God originally intends. See, I think the mission of the church, the mission of the church, sorry to take away the picture of the encyclopedias. I know you liked it. The mission of the church is to disrupt life as we know it. That's our mission, <laughs> That's, mission, that's the mission of Cornerstone Congregational Church. From the very beginning uh, of the church in Acts, we, uh, we find the church disrupting Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, so we've been studying this book of Acts. Uh, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, there's this festival, the festival of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes and uh, it comes down on the, the gathered believers and the Holy Spirit appears as tongues of fire over them. And what do they do? They just like completely disrupt the city. They begin to speak in foreign languages, to preach about God. It just completely bewilders the crowds to hear the people uh, uh, preaching in their own languages. Like I, it, was, it would be like if I went to Jerusalem and preached in English, but other people in that, that area heard, heard me preaching in, uh, in the Hebrew language or Aramaic or Greek or some other language. See, God through his Holy Spirit is using the gathered church to disrupt Jerusalem. And this, this kind of pattern of disruption of a church coming into a community and changing how things are 
never stops. It continues over and over again like a cycle throughout the book of Acts. See, in a narrow-minded world, a world that can't really conceive of, 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 of salvation and, and redemption, what does Peter do? He preaches a message about Christ Jesus, and thousands come to Christ. Disruption. In a world of like selfishness and greed, these early church believers, kind of the believers that were to model our lives after, they come in and they form a new community that's not grounded in selfishness and greed and uh, my way or the highway, but in selflessness and grace. Giving unto others, sacrificially caring for others. That's disruption. That's countercultural. In a world of brokenness and sickness, Peter and John, these early disciples, these early apostles, they're, they're filled with God's power through the Holy Spirit. What do they do? They go out and they heal a lame man who's been lame from birth. He walks, and it, it just causes this like complete uproar uh, in, in the religious powers who see their, who see their, like, their power being questioned. In a world that values status quo like the way things are, the believers are so revolutionary. The church is so different in Jerusalem that, that uh, Peter and John, they're put on trial. Many others are dragged from their homes. Starting with Stephen, people are martyred. The church was not like this nice little friendly movement that people enjoyed that people admired. It was disruptive. It was countercultural. It was changing Jerusalem from the inside out as they shared the message of Jesus Christ. In a world that valued walls and tribalism, like if you went back and you looked at the temple and how many walls there were dividing like the priests from the men, from the women, from the Gentiles, <laughs> There was so many walls protecting that temple, protecting access to God. And what does Christianity do? What does Jesus do? He comes in and he tears down the walls. He rips that curtain in the temple, uh, providing a way in which we can know and have access to God. The Bible and, and Christianity and the message of Jesus is completely cross-cultural as it takes the gospel message out from that temple complex and, and into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the church in Acts, and I believe our church, is on a mission. God calls us to a mission to, to disrupt the disruption, to do it with grace, to do it with kindness and mercy and gentleness and gospel truth. But that's what we're called to do. And we, we can look at a map and we can begin to see like how this disruption spreads, right? It starts in Jerusalem. It spreads to Judea. Judea it goes up north to Samaria. And God doesn't just do this as like a cloud of abstract theology, cord of sort of like poofing out. <laughs> he does it through people. He does it through people, just like he uses you and me to do things in our world. He does it through people like Peter and John and Saul and Barnabas. And we're going to read about Tabitha, uh, also called Dorcas, today. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't name my kids Dorcas, uh, but that's a pretty cool name. So we see what, what happens here. Uh, uh, Peter starts in Jerusalem. He goes uh, to Lydda. 
and then Joppa. And we're going to see later in, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter goes up to Caesarea. But we're not there quite yet. Uh, the difference between, like, uh, I guess leaving Jerusalem, uh, Peter travels to, to Lydda. It's about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. So this is about from Westford to Haverhill. So if you're curious, okay, Westford to Haverhill. Uh, and they didn't have, like, 495. It would have been a little bit longer of a journey. Uh, but there, uh, uh, Peter goes and he encounters Aeneas. He's paralyzed, he's bedridden. Verses 32 through 35 say this, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And so the question is, how, how in the world can this man uh, disrupt, uh, how, can this, how in the world can this man's world be disrupted? Like, what can, what can Peter do? This man's been bedridden for eight years. The laws of nature won't allow change, will they? But Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed, and immediately he rose. Now, Peter didn't say, Aeneas, I heal you. <laughs> he said, Jesus Christ heals you. See, he knows that the power comes from Jesus. The power comes from God himself. Maybe he was thinking back uh, to the life of Jesus when, when Jesus healed uh, a crippled man who was let down through a roof. Maybe he was thinking back to the, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, Luke 8. Uh, maybe he was thinking of, of uh, Christ's power when he raised the little girl from the dead, and we'll see that a little bit later. Maybe he was even thinking of God's power like uh, uh, that, that he saw in the prophets as some of the prophets performed miracles and, and raised the dead. And what does Peter do? He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. He understands that the power doesn't come from him. It comes through him. God wants to use Peter, but the source of the, of, of the, the, the supernatural healing is not him. Maybe you guys have seen uh, the, the Pixar movie Ratatouille. Uh, it's a good movie. I've seen it uh, once. It was a long time ago. But it's about a, a rat, a rat named Remy. And Remy is very good at cooking. It's like his passion. Uh, he loves doing it, but there's a problem. He's a rat. And so he has a, a difficult time cooking. Uh, you know, people always want to, like, uh, hit him and, and scare him away and, and trap him. But one day, uh, he comes into contact with a human uh, who then they form a relationship. And this human, he works as a, a cook at a restaurant, but he's no good at cooking. And so what does Remy do? He kind of leads him. He guides him. In fact, there's a scene where he, like, he, like, gets on top of his head and like, it's like a marionette where he like pulls the different hair follicles and somehow like in the Pixar magic that, that allows him to control this man as he, as he begins to cook. And suddenly this, this guy's cooking, it just turns into this amazing, uh, amazing works of art. And so it's not really that his power is working for cooking, but it's Remy's power through him. Now, yeah, I guess the, the similarities there do fall short, right? Our God is not a rat. <laughs> Our God is all-powerful, all-loving, all-kind. And, and what does he do? He works through us. He works through Peter to perform a miracle. And Peter recognizes that Jesus Christ heals you. 
And what does this do? It completely disrupts the world. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. The mission of the church is to disrupt life as we know it. And we see Peter doing that. They disrupt Lydda. They disrupt that entire community. I've recently been reading through and like reflecting in my own life on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm actually trying to memorize it. I'm not going very quickly, so if any of you want to try to memorize the Sermon on the Mount with me, please come talk to me after the service and we can kind of set up some sort of accountability system, see who can get through first. Uh, but I've been reading through it and meditating on it and thinking about it. And, and Matthew chapter 5, like the Sermon on the Mount, how it starts, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now this is completely countercultural. This is completely different than what our world values. Our, our, our world does not value those who are poor in spirit. It pities them and says, let's try to fix them. But this just has a completely different way of saying, no, like those that somehow recognize their, their poverty, their spiritual poverty, well, God's kingdom actually belongs to them. Do we value mercy? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Blessed are the peacemakers, not those that get their way, but the peacemakers. For they're called, being called sons of God. See, the church, like this is, this is a new ethic for how we are to live our lives. This is a new ethic for, for how like, we as the church are to look and be defined. And this, just, this is meant to disrupt our world. Uh, he calls, uh, Jesus talks about like, we as believers, we as the church are to be like salt in a tasteless world. I like salt. Salt on my eggs make my eggs taste a lot better. It brings out the flavor. And what we're, we're supposed to like bring out the flavor of God's goodness in a world that is tasteless and dry, that tastes like, like, like old jerky, <laughs> We're to come in and just create something that's, that's rich, like ratatouille, like, like Remy. Matthew 5, verse 14 says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Like, we're meant to be like this, this beacon. When we were uh, considering names for Cornerstone, uh, one of the names we talked about was Lighthouse Church. That wasn't my proposal, but I think there's something to that picture of like being a beacon, being a place of light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And so that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. We're supposed to be disrupting the darkness. As individuals, as a body, we disrupt the normal way of doing things in our world. We create something that's new and different. And there is a temptation, though, to kind of say, okay, uh, what that disruption looks like is really to go into my own area and kind of create my, my own kingdom, my own community. Maybe you've seen uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, uh, the, the Village. Uh, I'm going to spoil 
the village. I've really been on a streak like spoiling movies lately. I guess I spoiled Ford versus Ferrari for some of you. Uh, uh, the village it was made in 2004, so I, I don't feel too bad. Uh, but like it's it's kind of this horror movie. I didn't think it was very scary, uh, but it's like these people that are in this clearing in the woods and. And uh, they're scared to go out into the woods because there are, there are scary beasts in the woods. And so they kind of form this community. It's, it's very Amish looking uh, in this clearing in this little village in this town. And it's nice, uh, you know, they, they get to kind of live life together and experience relationships. Um, but, uh, but they're also isolated. <laughs> they're they're uh, surrounded by these scary woods and uh, and then when one of them finally does go out into the woods, they realize like, oh, uh, this individual realizes like it's actually modern times and it's like this very isolated community that's living off the grid. That's not what we're supposed to look like as the church. You know, we are supposed to be distinct and different, but we're not supposed to be isolated and far away. We're supposed to be in the midst we're supposed to be uh, among. That's what it means to be uh, a, a city on a hill. All right, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. People are, are, are to be able to see us. And that means in order to do that, we have to live our lives out loud. We have to live our lives in front of people. We have to form those relationships with people that don't know Christ. And as a church body, we need to be thinking about how, how we, as a church, can be a light to our community. And that means actually going out. That means sharing the gospel with uh, people that are never going to enter our walls. And figuring out how, how, how we can get the message out there to them. How we can demonstrate the love of Christ to those around us. The mission of the church is to disrupt life as we know it. And so I want to talk about, like, how can we do that? What are some ways that we can disrupt life as we know it? And the first one is that we disrupt by proclaiming Christ. This seems like kind of the obvious thing, but this is like the thing we see in our passage. Maybe you remember back in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does, Peter say? What does Jesus say? He says, You're going to be my witnesses. And what, that's what Peter is doing. He's being Jesus' witness in Jerusalem and Lydda. He's proclaiming Christ. Maybe you're living in a, a life of disruption, like you're experiencing this disruption. You're not experiencing the grace of God. And you need a little bit of that disruption in, in your disruption. Well, it all starts with Jesus. It all starts with a relationship with the God who, who, who came into this world to save sinners, to save broken people. It starts with him. He can forgive us of our sins if we'll just repent and believe and, and begin to be a part of this, this new disruptive people, his people. God wants to form through us, through you, a new countercultural supernatural community called the church. And we do that by proclaiming Christ. In our house, uh, we have these smoke alarms that talk. And maybe your smoke alarm is one of the ones that just beeps. I got one that talks. It's pretty cool. Uh, 
And instead of like beeping when there's smoke, like so like if we make a pizza and some of the cheese falls off the crust and it begins to like smoke and it's amazing how like a little piece of cheese can disrupt your life so much. Uh, but then it says, uh, there's smoke in the hallway. And it's always like very loud and like there's smoke in the hallway. So you run over and you push the button and open windows and, and take care of it. Now I'd rather have that alarm that says there's smoke in the hallway that tells me that there's something than no alarm at all. And I've, I've, I've heard, I, don't, I probably should do my research on this, but that it actually helps kids too, like they hear that better than, uh, than the beeps. Uh, Elijah certainly hears them and does not like them. <laughs> it's very jarring to hear there's smoke in the hallway. But I'd rather hear that than, than not know that there's smoke. Like, we live in a, a world that's full of smoke. It's broken. And, and if we continue to live in this brokenness, it says the wages of sin is death. And so somehow, like, we got to be that smoke alarm. we got to say, like, there is hope. <laughs> there is life eternal for those that w- will come to Jesus. Directing people into out of the disruption. <laughs> and in order to do that, sometimes we have to be disruptive. What better way to do that than by talking about Jesus? So we disrupt by proclaiming Christ. And I mean that like we as a church body and then obviously as individuals and maybe in like pairs. And Number two is we disrupt by praying for healing. So it's not just the things we say, it's also the things we see God do. Christ's power can heal us. It can heal us of our sins, but I think sometimes God can heal us of our sickness and our disease as well. Now, just because we see Peter do something doesn't mean it's prescriptive, right? Description does not equal prescription in the book of Acts, unless we see it elsewhere in the Bible. James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15 say this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And he, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Uh, we have a jar of oil in my office, and we are happy to pray for you. I'm remembering back to my childhood, because I, I was like sick over and over again. And I actually uh, had this done for me. I'm just stories coming to me right now, uh, but I, I I I went and I, like I sat and the elders came to me and they like pulled me out of Sunday school and I didn't know this was happening, uh, and I sat down on this chair. And one of the elders came up to me and said, "Jonathan, are there any sins that you'd like to confess?" Uh, and I was like very nervous. And we see that in this passage. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So right, like confess your sins and and receive forgiveness. And and he didn't know, but at the time I was kind of like pilfering some candy out of like the Awana closet. So I was actually feeling very guilty. Uh, so this is kind of good to get it off my chest right now. Uh, 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 but uh, I, I was like, I, I just kind of made up something because I was like, uh, sometimes I say things that my brother does that I, I you know, aren't true. Uh, and he was like, okay, well, let me pray for you. So, you know, cover up some sin with some more sin, right? When you're a kid, you do so, sorts of things like that. But what do you do? You come and you confess and you say like, hey, um, this is an area of my life that I could use some forgiveness with. And maybe it's connected to the sickness. Maybe it has nothing to do with it. 
Uh, and so we see that, what do we see? That, that, that spiritual transformation, that spiritual healing. But God often associates spiritual healing with actually physical healing as well. Like God can heal us. And God likes to use other people. God likes to use our spiritual shepherds, our elders, or someone else in your life to pray for you and to experience healing. I know people were uh, praying for me. Mark shared that he was praying for me with this COVID test that I had to get. I don't know if I had COVID, but just knowing that, like, here's someone who cares and who's praying for me, and uh, I think that does something. And so if you're sick and you've been experiencing protracted sickness or, or lengthy sickness, or even if you've just come down to sick, like, come to the elders. We'd love to, to anoint you with oil and pray for you and ask you that awkward question, like, hey, is there anything you need to confess so that we can pray for that? Don't do what I did. Uh, tell the truth. We want to do that for you. I think I've only used that oil, like, two times. We want to experience healing. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that the Holy Spirit gives the church the gifts of healing and miracles. I haven't seen a lot of these in my own life. I've certainly heard stories, but I'd like to see them. But the only way we'll see them is if God gives us a chance. And I think we can even uh, pray for those outside of our community as well. If you know someone who is sick, say, hey, my elders would be happy to come pray for you. Would you be interested in that? I would go and do that. Sometimes Christ will choose to supernaturally heal us through a miracle, but sometimes he does it through a slower means as well. You know, he, he gives us brothers and sisters in Christ who, like, if you have a cold, they make you a pot of chicken noodle soup. That's also an instrument of healing. It's a little slower, or they'll go with you to the doctor's office or to get treatments. Maybe it's not at the pace and it doesn't look as supernatural, but I still think it's a sign of of God's disruption. When we kind of sacrifice or do things to care for those that are, that are sick or hurting, that's us disrupting the disruption. I personally felt it recently as a family, and I just want to say thank you. We just had our baby, right? Um, and uh, we had so many meals that were brought to us. Like we're tired, you know, don't want to think about making food, just adapting to two kids. And you guys brought us food. That was you disrupting the disruption in our life. Thank you. So we disrupt by proclaiming Christ. We disrupt by praying for healing. And three, we disrupt by serving and caring for others. Now, when Peter is in Lydda, he's, he's called to Joppa, uh, where there's a, a woman named Tabitha. She's called a disciple, uh, or Dorcas is her name. Verses 36 to 39 say this. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. She's kind of like Stephen. Remember Stephen was called full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom? Well, she's called full of good works and acts of charity. In other words, she was the kind of person who others noticed that she would go out of her way to care for others. She was a disruptor, but in the good way. Verses 37 through 39 say this, In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose up and went with them. And when he had arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the, windows stood, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Tabitha is the kind of person who, who like goes out of her way to like make a prayer shawl or a baby blanket or makes a meal uh, or buys the groceries or, or cleans the house or um, you know, goes to get that, uh, that medicine or, or, or whatever. She's the kind of person that goes out of her way to care for others. It's beautiful. How can you be a Dorcas this week? <laughs> How can you be a Tabitha this week? How can you disrupt someone else's life with God's disruption? In other words, whose life can I change with the love of Christ this week? By serving them and caring for them. I can think of a couple people in my own life, and I'm like, that takes a little bit of work. You have to like set aside time to do it. And then how about for us as a church body? Our world is so disrupted right now, it is more important than ever that we as a church are the beacon on a hill, are a, a body, a gathering of disruption in our world. That we're changing things, that we're helping our world look a little bit more like the kingdom of God. That we're being salt in a world that's lost its taste. There's no quick answer for how to do that. I'm proud of us as a church for how we have tried to do that. And I see good fruit in that. I think one of the ways we were disrupting uh, our, our culture, right, is when we, we did that uh, fundraiser just for the food pantry, right? That is a, that's an act of, of, of like, uh, trying to feed the hungry uh, in our community. That's good. That's disrupting the disruption. Let's keep thinking of ways we can do that. We disrupt by serving and caring for others. Number four, we disrupt with the resurrection. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Peter knelt down, and he had the gall to pray for the impossible. Oh, Lord God, would you raise this woman from the dead? See, he had resurrection hope. And actually, he wasn't the first one to have resurrection hope. She died. Tabitha died, and then they sent people to get Peter. So clearly, Tabitha's friends, those early believers, they also had resurrection hope. In other words, we as a community, we as the church body, are to be marked by resurrection hope. This, this echoes back to Jesus and his miracles. This passage like, is very similar. It almost like parallels like the life of Jesus, right? Jesus heals the woman with the bleeding, with the bleeding and then what does he do? He, uh, he raises a little girl. He says, Talitha kuma, kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Peter says, uh, you know, would you raise this dead woman? Her name's Tabitha. It almost sounds alike. Jesus' ministry and Peter's ministry, I think, are even similar to ours in that we are to disrupt with the resurrection, with the news, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're asking, well, can we raise the dead? Can we do miracles like that? Maybe. <laughs> I know I can't, but Jesus can. 
Christ can in our world. I was reading one commentary and it said that I met a missionary working with a tribal group in India who told me that among this group in the past few years, they had seen seven cases of people coming back to life. In this tribal group, who was Christians, when, when someone would die, all the believers would go and pray for that dead person for three and a half hours. And then if at the end of the three and a half hours, the Lord chose not to raise that person from the dead, then the elders would kind of give the signal and they would continue with the burial. That's amazing. I want to see that. Uh, I've also heard of Christians who tried to kind of force God's hand and raise the dead and it didn't work. But I think God can still give resurrections as a sign of his kingdom. I think it's like an earthquake. It's like a, this disruptive tremor that shows like the inbreaking of God's kingdom into our world. But most of all, what do we do? We share about the, the resurrection life that Jesus offers. That any who will repent and believe in him will one day rise again from the dead. Man, in a world where like, what, 130, 140,000 people have died from COVID, like we need the resurrection. <laughs> we need to know that Jesus raises the dead and that any who believe in him will not perish, but will receive eternal life. Like we don't need hope that's like vague and sentimental. We need real, real hope, resurrection hope. So what do we do? We disrupt by proclaiming Christ. We disrupt by praying for healing. We disrupt by serving and caring for others. We disrupt with the resurrection. Because the mission of the church is to disrupt life as we know it. So what's my, my key takeaway? Well, just disrupt the disruption. <laughs> disrupt the disruption. Be a bear. <laughs> Be a bear. Like, do something to... to, to to, to change the world where God has placed you. You don't have to change the whole world. Just uh, think about where God has called you, your friends, your coworkers, your family members, and think, how can I disrupt them with, like, the good news and, the, and the, the gospel message of grace of Christ Jesus? How can I serve them? How can I love them? How can I care for them? And, and just just in a little manner, like, shake up their world. And say, this is how it ought to be. This is how it ought, is ought to be. This is how the world is meant to be. Disrupt the disruption. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he disrupts our disruption, that because of him, like, we can be saved. We can have brand new lives. Thank you for Jesus and everything he has done, Lord. I pray for anyone that's experiencing disruption in their own life. Lord, not the good kind, just experiencing sickness or disease or depression or, or sadness or, or conflict or whatever, Lord. Would, would your gospel somehow come in and just disrupt the disruption? In Jesus' name, amen.